listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Now, Michio Kushi says you don't have to meditate. Eating this way, you become meditation because your body isn't fighting anymore. It's just hooked up with heaven and earth and all the things move through you in a free way as opposed to having to fight all the time to find balance. For me, it's very therapeutic, and I find that children or people of all ages and abilities can find some sense of peace and satisfaction when they're in the garden, when they're allowed to get dirty and dig around and and see something grow from a tiny little seed to a plant that can actually be given away and help others. So then our task is, okay, we have a student that has not resonated with a traditional school. How are we going to integrate this student into our program and find whatever gift they they may bring and amplify that gift? One way we look at farm to school is, is breeding a whole new generation of folks that really are into growing food and cooking food and eating food. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Seabags, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 57, Healthy Harvest, airing for the first time on October 14th, 2012, on WLOB and WPEI Radio, Portland, Maine. Also streaming on WLOBradio.com. Today's guests include Lisa Silverman, macrobiotic cooking instructor from Five Seasons Cooking School, Christine Slater of the Yarmouth Community Garden, Craig Hames from The Real School, and Ken Morse from the Maine Farm to School Network. As those of you who listen regularly may realize, we've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks talking about students and schools and education And this is an appropriate time of year to be doing that because September is our back-to-school month, or was our back-to-school month, and now we're into October, which happens to be farm-to-school month. As a younger physician in primary care practice, I quickly realized that food and nutrition was pretty much key to many of the problems that I was dealing with with my patients. I also quickly realized that it was something I needed to learn more about. In medical school, we did get a basic education in biochemistry and nutrition, but we didn't really learn about hands-on things. Cooking, for example. So when I was reconfiguring my practice and trying to figure out how I could best help my patients, I went back and I taught myself how to cook. And in fact, I went into the macrobiotic school of cooking, which is a healing tradition. Macrobiotics is a healing tradition. This is one of the reasons that we have Lisa Silverman coming in to talk to us today. For more than a decade, I wrote for the parent and family newspaper and spent 
many columns advocating about um, getting children into the gardens, getting adults into the gardens, getting adults out to the farmer's markets, and really reconnecting people with their food. Now, that was more than a decade ago now, maybe 15 years, and I'm happy to say that it's come to fruition. There are many people who firmly believe in the importance of community gardens, school gardens, and getting children and adults back out where the food is being grown. I think this is something that we're all coming to understand is important from a multi-sensory perspective. The fact that you get your hands on your food, you learn how to grow your food, or at least you appreciate how it is grown, you learn how to cook your food, you know what's nutritious for yourself and for your family, and you know how you can um, choose for sustainable products that are going to better impact the local economy and the environment. This is the reason that we have Lisa, Christine, Craig, and Ken on today's show talking with us about Healthy Harvest. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by the University of New England. As part of our collaboration with the University of New England, we offer a segment we call Wellness Innovations. This week's Wellness Innovation is National Farm to School Month. October is National Farm to School Month, a time to celebrate the connections that are happening all over the country between schools and local food. Farm to School is broadly defined as any program that connects schools K-12 and local farms with the objectives of serving healthy meals in school cafeterias, improving school nutrition, providing agriculture, health, and nutrition education opportunities, and supporting local and regional farmers. Farm to School programs exist in all 50 states, but since Farm to School is a grassroots movement, programs are as diverse as the communities that build them. To find out more information about Farm to School, please visit their website at farmtoschool.org. For more information on National Farm to School Month, visit farmtoschoolmonth.org. And for more information on the University of New England, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. From the beginning of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour, we have focused on the importance of healthy foods and bringing healthy foods into our lives, into our children's lives. And we consider healthy foods to be really whole foods, foods that are not processed, foods that don't have a lot of additives. And Lisa Silverman is right in our camp. So we thought we would bring her in today. She is a whole foods chef, not the chef from Whole Foods, but she actually works with Whole Foods. She's also a breath worker and a shiatsu practitioner and is the owner of the Five Seasons Cooking School. So lots of different things. Plus, I know she has a few other jobs, but she's all about the whole life and the whole living. Thank you for coming in, Lisa Silverman. Mm, It's my pleasure to be here. Now, I've known about you, Lisa, for a while. Your reputation precedes you. You've been in the community a long time. Yes. Teaching. Over 20 years. And you've been doing this since before, well, I want to say since before whole foods were popular, but obviously we've been eating whole foods for a long time in our culture. It's just that 20 years ago, we really had gotten into more of a processed sort of food. Mm. Well, it's too bad. 20 years ago, we had the Good Day Market and the whole grocer. You know, I grew up with more of those sort of smaller health food stores, and they were great because they made 
all their own food right there, and it's just amazing. So this was a movement before before Whole Foods became the big Whole and we have nothing against Whole Foods. Let me just no. say that. We, we like the fact that they're out there in the community, and we're happy to have them. But before the big Whole Foods came into being, you were all about food, mm-hmm. vegetables, things from the earth. And I think that your background is in macrobiotics. Yes. So tell me about that. Yes. Well, I went through a change in my life at like 23, just looking at a healthier lifestyle from the kind of crazy lifestyle it had before then. And I was looking at how food can help balance out addiction. And I was going to school in Orno at the time, and I met a woman, and she said, you need to go to the Kushi Institute to study. And I never made miso soup or anything before I went to a five-week course there. I, I bought the little book and tried to make miso soup before I went, but so I wasn't practicing macrobiotics before I went there for five weeks, and it was an amazing experience. And who who are the Kushis? Tell me who they are. The Kushi Institute um, was founded by Michio and Aveline Kushi, and they're from Japan, and they studied with somebody named George Osawa, and he discovered that you know, that Hippocrates said, you know, let food be your medicine and medicine be your food, and that you could discover how somebody's illness came about by just looking at what they eat, pretty much, um, patterns of eating, and that if you ate more foods that were centered, like simple brown rice, vegetables, beans, you know, some transformational, um, what do you want to call them, transformational Processed foods, not processed foods like we call it today, but things like miso and uh, tamari soy sauce that's been brewed for a long time. If you use some of these traditional healing foods along with simple whole foods, you could heal anything. And so they found they came over here to the United States and started the Kushi Institute, um, which is training on you know visual diagnosis, cooking, shiatsu massage, and lifestyle. So for five weeks, I not only learned about cooking, but I learned about um, macrobiotic philosophy. It's really based on Taoism and also shiatsu massage, which sometimes I would get three to five a day, <laughs> which is good for anybody. You mean in your training, you actually yes. got massaged yourself? Because we were you know, practicing on each other. And, um, and then the cooking itself and then diagnosis, like looking at somebody and seeing you know, how to balance their diet based on what you see in their face or hands or way they walk. Now, it seems like there may be a crossover. Well, actually, I'll say I know there's a crossover because I practice this type of medicine, mm-hmm. but there, there is a crossover between five elements um, and traditional Chinese medicine and what you're describing. Yeah, and we call it five transformations and the five elements. And so the way of eating is based on seasonal. I call it five seasons cooking school based on the five elements of wood. We call it wood. I don't know. You call it tree. We know we call it tree. You call it wood. And then fire. And then late summer is that fifth weird um, we're in right now, kind of, uh, which is stomach, spleen, pancreas, which is more um, that energy. And then fall, which is metal, and then you know water, which is the winter time. And so basing your diet on the seasons and basing it on the organ systems that are more prominent in that season to heal is all what macrobiotics is about. So it's totally tandem. 
Yes, there's a lot of crossover between the, the five elements and the five transitions you're describing, and of course, this whole five seasons idea. Yes. So what was it like when you started doing this 20 years ago before... There, there were so many acupuncturists, there were so many five-element practitioners, there were so many people that were doing this this type of work here in the Portland area. Yeah, well, I, you know, at first I felt alone in Orno because there wasn't much out there for support. And I think my first winter by myself eating this way, I went a little bit nuts <laughs> because I had a very narrow view and I thought I got scared of food for a little while. If it wasn't brown rice and tofu and vegetables, I thought, I, you know, I was going to go crazy, but I was just getting a little bit too narrow in my thinking and in my diet. That's what happens sometimes in the beginning. You get too, you know, fanatic about it. And but I did reach out to some other people that I met in the Macrobiotic community who had more of a whole person approach, and they were able to sort of guide me back. But I did end up seeing Tom Bowman, which is a five-element acupuncturist, and he was really helpful with the different aspects of you know my own energy, getting it unstuck along with the food, but with the you know meridians and <laughs> the needles. He goes, this is the only side effect right now. Ow! <laughs> But, you know, he was great. You could just talk to him and heal. I mean, it really was about his whole person, not only the needles, but the, you know, philosophy and the five elements. Because I was attracted to five element because of the five transformations of what I was learning. It's interesting to me that you first got into this because of this idea of addictions. Mm -hmm. Why was that the case? I had this idea that... You know, healing from, for me, it was alcohol and drug addiction, that there must be a way of eating that would support that and help limit cravings. And when I went to the Kushi Institute, setting yin and yang, setting contraction and expansion, uh, at first, it was a little tricky. I thought, oh, well, if I eliminate meat and if I eliminate a lot of salt, maybe I could drink again. <laughs> so I, it, it kind of messed with my mind a little bit. But then after a while, I was like, well, there really isn't any place for that in my life anymore. Um, but by eliminating some of the really contracting foods, you're not driven necessarily towards the more expansive things like alcohol and drugs and sugar. And so it wasn't necessarily about just eliminating those things. It was eliminating the stressors, which is a contraction. It was eliminating the meats, which are really contracting to the body, really salty foods, you know, baked, dry, flour product type things. And almost like by eliminating that, it sort of opens up your whole body so that you're not, you can relax more in yourself and not feel like you need a fix or you need something at the end of the day to go, ah, you know, you become, you know, Michio Kushi says you don't have to meditate, but eating this way, you become meditation because your body isn't fighting anymore. It's just, you know, hooked up with heaven and earth and, you know, all the things move through you in a free way as opposed to having to fight all the time to find balance. And macrobiotic itself, the definition has something to do with large living. Mm-hmm. Living, eating for longevity. You know, so living a large life, but also living a long time. You know, if you've read the book, The Blue Zones, it talks about what are the elements of longevity in different cultures. And Okinawa, Japan is one of them. And, you know, 
that's very in line with macrobiotic sort of thinking and philosophy is, you know, eating, uh, you know, whole natural foods. They're not necessarily vegan. They eat some fish. And it's really about making balance with your constitution at this moment and your condition growing up. So there's not one meal plan that's for everybody. It's really looking at the individual and seeing what would make balance in their life right now, what would make balance in what they've been doing up to this point, and how do we restore you know, homeostasis so that the body can heal itself. And some people take advantage of macrobiotic eating for, for true healing. Some people who have cancer. I know Meg Wolf is a mutual friend of ours, and she had breast and bone cancer, and she's written a few books about that. Um, initially, this was a healing diet. Yes, yes. Well, initially, it was a traditional diet before people got sick. And then when people started getting sick by getting away from it, it became a healing diet. And, you know, Meg was one of my students, and um, she she never thought she could teach a cooking class. And one time I couldn't go to the Cancer Community Center, and she goes, well, they asked me to go, but I've never taught a cooking class. I said, Meg, you live it. You know, you live it so you can do this. And it's just amazing. Every person that I've helped to work with and see their transformation, it just reminds me that I have a tool that can help save lives, too. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. The Body Architect was founded on the belief that mindful exercise improves the health of the mind, body, and spirit. Housed in an open, light-filled space in Portland, Maine, the Body Architect offers a cutting-edge fitness center, expert personal trainers, nutrition counseling, and a full class schedule. Visit thebodyarchitect.com or call 207-774-2196 and get started with the Body Architect today. As you know, the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is focused on the mind, body, and soul. Sometimes our bodies are giving us a little indication that maybe things aren't quite right. Here to talk to us about some particular things that we can listen to when our bodies are acting up is Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. Today's diagnosis is lateral epicondylitis. Dr. John? Lateral epicondylitis is extremely common. It's that kind of pain you get in your elbow. When you pick up a cup of coffee, try to open a jar, and it's frequently called tennis elbow. In our office, we can see it very explicitly with an ultrasound and direct treatment right toward the area by utilizing cortisone or PRP or even stem cells in the future to heal it. For more information on that, give us a call at 781 9077 or online at orthocareme.com. For people who are listening who aren't quite ready to sort of go, go the whole way with this, what are a few simple things that they can do to get started with macrobiotics and whole food eating? There's a couple of great books out there. My friend Jessica Porter wrote the book Hip Chick's Guide to Macrobiotics. Um, a lot of my recipes are in that, and I've done the test kitchen. But she really has a fun way of explaining macrobiotics um, that's lighthearted. And she also wrote The Kind Diet with Alicia Silverstone, which is more of a vegan book, but has some of those same principles. Um, finding a book, or Christina Perello has a great website called Christina Cooks christinacooks.com and there's great recipes on there 
trying one new recipe a week. Um, or, you know, I, I do these crazy things like go on a brown rice fast for seven days. You know, we did a winter rice reset, although arsenic and rice, you might want to do barley or millet or quinoa now. Um, I want them to fix the whole rice thing. But chewing whole grains and having maybe a little bit of vegetables for seven days can kind of bring you to a place of center to see how food really affects you. Because sometimes we're just eating stuff every day kind of unconsciously and don't really know how it affects us. And so by having a period of time off of processed foods, sugars, coffees, and then reintroducing them maybe or maybe not um, and see how they really affect you can be an awakening. Um, but, you know, anybody can eliminate, you know, sugar, coffee, um, a lot of meats. I mean, reading, you know, looking at the movie Forks Over Knives can be, you know, an experience or fat, sick, and nearly dead. I mean, some of these movies are crazy, but they just give you an idea of, wow, a period away from the way that you eat every day, like a break from that, giving your body high nutrient-dense food. I mean, I have a bumper sticker, eat more kale. You know, just go to the farmer's market and eat stuff that's in season, that's organic, that's locally grown, that has this vital energy in it. You know, choosing high-quality foods is really important. So if you ate more kale, if you ate high nutrient dense food, it's almost like the suboxone of food people. You know what I mean? It, 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 it sort of sinks into the receptors of your hungry, crazy ghost that feels like it needs to eat all the time. And it satisfies them on a level where then you don't need, you know, such processed foods. So eating more vegetables, eat plants. That's a message. Just eat plants. I like it. How, how can people find out more about you, Lisa, and what you do? I have a website, fiveseasonscookingschool.net, and I'm kind of lazy at keeping it up to date, but it has ways of getting in touch with me. And we also have a macrobiotic potluck usually every month, um, but if you want to be on the mailing list for the things that are going on in Portland, uh, it's Maine, like the state of Maine macro at gmail.com if you email me i'll put you on the list and if we have things like warren kramer comes every four months to teach a dinner and a lecture and a cooking class and he does consultations he gave meg her first consultation in macrobiotics he comes every four months and we have teachers come from around well i'm so glad that i was finally able to meet face to face with you. I'm really happy that you've brought macrobiotics into the Portland community and I guess the Orono community before that, because I think it's an important thing for people to explore if they need healing or even if they just want to live fuller lives. Mm -hmm. It's something that I practice myself or I attempt to. So people who are interested, go see Lisa Silverman's website. We've been talking with Lisa Silverman, whole foods chef, breath worker, shiatsu practitioner, and founder of the Five Seasons Cooking School here in the Portland area. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. A chronic ache, sleepless nights, a feeling of something being not quite right. You can treat the symptoms with traditional medications and feel better for a little while and continue on with your busy days. But have you ever stopped to consider the what that's at the core of a health issue? Most times it goes much deeper than you think, and when you don't treat the root cause, the aches, sleeplessness, and that not quite right feeling come back. But they don't have to. 
you can take a step towards a healthier, more centered life. Schedule an appointment with Dr. Lisa Belisle and discover how a practice that combines traditional medicine with Eastern healing practices can put you on the right path to better living. For more information, please call The Body Architect in Portland at 207-774-2196 or visit doctorlisa.org today. Healthy living is a journey. Take the first step. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. How does a saver trying to protect his money talk to a long-term investor trying to grow hers? The answer? Speak louder. That's the state of our culture, and it's increasingly insufficient. One of the reasons we can't agree on so much is that we are using different value systems to filter all of our knowledge. Today's Tower of Babel has been built on the structure of an increasingly complex financial system. At Shepherd Financial, we've identified seven relationships you can have with money. And even in the same level, our motivation is to protect, manage, or grow. That's 21 different languages. Visit Shepherd Financial Maine to learn more about how to get along with money in this complex world. I first learned about the Yarmouth Community Garden about the time it was founded, I think, and um, my friend Marjorie introduced me to the concept. I actually had a plot there for a few years, and it's my great pleasure to have with me today a representative from the Yarmouth Community Garden. This is Christine Slater, whom I've also known for quite a while. She's a fellow Yarmouth person, also helped me with the book, Our Daily Tread, that we put together for Safe Passage. And Christine, like myself, has a son that went down, was a long-term volunteer for Safe Passage. So we're talking about the Yarmouth Community Garden, but we're starting with the idea of community and how that's important on our Healthy Harvest show. So thanks for coming in, Christine. Thank you, it's very nice to be here. Why are you involved with the community garden? And what is a community garden? A community garden is a wonderful opportunity to bring many different ages and abilities and types of people together to form community. Um, I'm involved because I have grown up in Yarmouth and love my town and I love to garden and I love children. So the Yarmouth community garden is a wonderful place and opportunity for me to bring all my passions together and help my town, give back to my town. So describe what the community garden layout is. Okay, It's about a two and a half acre plot on town-owned property right near the Frank Knight Forest, which is on East Main Street. It's between Estabrook Greenhouse and the town transfer station, which I, as a local, like to call the dump. Um, it's a beautiful piece of property. It's got sunshine, great fertile soil, and it encompasses three different sections. One is the rental plot, one is the community garden, and one section is the children's garden, and that's the part I'm most actively involved in. Um, 
The rental plot consists of about 140 10 by 10 plots uh, where people, anyone from our town or non-residents can come and grow a garden. And the community garden is, is um, set up to grow vegetables and flowers for people in need. And then the children's garden, we also do that, but it's also considered a learning garden where we um, offer classes for children to come in and um, learn about gardening, become future gardeners, and also get started becoming community members. Why do you think that gardening is important for children and adults? Um, it gets you back to your roots. I mean, literati literally and figuratively. Um, it's a, a very, for me, it's very therapeutic, and I find that children or people of all ages and abilities can find some sense of peace and, and satisfaction when they're in the garden, when they're allowed to get dirty and dig around and and see something grow from a tiny little seed to a plant that can actually be given away and help others. Um, it's also really fun to garden. <laughs> you know, it's a chance where your parents don't mind if you get dirty and um, you get to eat what you grow. I've seen children who come into the garden and don't like vegetables before our classes start, and by the end of the season, they're asking for more. I had a little girl this year who asked her mom if she could have more salad because she grew the vegetables and her mom was thrilled of course <laughs> so um it's just a great place to hang out do you notice there's a difference between boys and girls i mean you're involved with the children's mm -hmm. garden is there a difference between boys and girls in the way that they approach gardening i'm so glad you asked that question because uh, we offer two classes um and over the years, we've had a younger class and we've had an older class. So we started, the younger class was with four, five, and six-year-olds, and the older class was for seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds. And then we ended up combining the two age groups because it was more convenient for parents. And we were a little worried about the boys, especially in the older class. But uh, the boys love to garden just as much as the girls, and the older boys especially love to be in the community garden. I have returning campers who come back every year, and I actually have one boy who, very, if I have time for a story, he was very reluctant the first year his mother signed him up. His name is Ben, and he didn't, he was mad that his mother signed him up for the class. And um, I had a meeting out of my hand at the end of the class because he loves art, and I was doing, my first class was on Vincent van Gogh, and how you can intertwine art into the garden with sunflowers and his mother just so happened to be an art major art history major so he knew about van gogh and he like oh maybe this class isn't so bad and he has returned every year to the garden class and this year he was one of my counselor helpers so it was very cool and he actually i paid him a little money and gave him a gift certificate and he came in and the kids loved him. He loves teaching them what he knows and has learned. He shows the boys especially that boys can hang out in a garden and enjoy themselves. So, How many years has the community garden been going on in Yarmouth? Almost 10 years. We were established in 2003. So we're celebrating an anniversary coming up. Christine, you and I both have older boys who are out of the house now. Um, what kind of an impact has this garden and the work that you've been doing with the Yarmouth Community Garden had on your boys as they've grown up? 
Well, my boys have always um, been part of my gardening experience from the time they were born and could walk. They've been helping me in the garden. Um, when they were little, they used to give me a gift at Mother's Day, and they would go to the transfer station and get the free mulch there, and they would sift it out and bring it home, and that was called Mother's Day mulch. So they would help me spread that on the garden. They have learned to like their vegetables a little better, knowing that their mom helped grow them and they helped grow them. And I think throughout their um, young adulthood, they have seen me work very hard and have learned to, it's probably influenced their work ethic. Both of them are very hard workers. Um, Wilson, my son, who's in um, college right now, is working in a restaurant and likes to be around food and vegetables. He loves to cook and eat vegetables. Um, and he works through his school career, so he is very busy and has a good work ethic. And Alex, who doesn't like vegetables quite as much, still appreciates them. And he is also involved in restaurant work and, and um, has enjoyed the cucumbers from the Yarmouth Community Garden. This summer, he has been mending from a, a snowboarding accident and would go up to the garden with me a couple of times and just hang out with me when it's peaceful in the evening and there aren't so many people around and just kind of have a chance to rest and restore being around the garden. He likes the birds up there and the view, the sounds of nature. It sounds like a very healing place. It is. It is. Um, for me especially, I'm... I mean, we all have our stress. This has been a very busy summer for me. I'm restoring a house, and I work at four different jobs. And when I go to the community garden, whether it's with people around or by myself, I just feel rejuvenated and take time to pause and watch the birds, listen to the sounds. There are beautiful sunsets at the Yarmouth Community Garden. And if the mosquitoes don't drive me out, I'll stay there and just be by myself. And then again, if people show up, that's also very restorative for me because the people there are amazing. I have made some of the most wonderful friends, and they are from all walks of life. We have older volunteers there. We have children, of course, who I've got to know very well, and their families. We have people who are first-time gardeners. We have people like Norm, who is, we call him the Onion Man. He's one of our older far, um, gardeners, and he has so much knowledge of the garden that I just love just gardening alongside him and hearing what he has to teach and um, spending time with him. And, you know, he has taught us everything from how to grow things to make sure you put the tools away clean and don't leave them upside down in the path where somebody might step on them. And there's just a wealth of amazing people that get involved in the community garden, and I love being around them. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. 
Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Sea Bags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Sea Bags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind, nautical-inspired pieces. Visit the Sea Bags store in Portland or Freeport, or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. I understand that you have this upcoming event where people can maybe meet some of these amazing people. Yes. And you've already alluded to a little bit, but mm-hmm. tell us about this. Well, it does take place on Wednesday, October 17th from 5 to 7.30. It's at the Yarmouth High School cafeteria. And the menu is of garden produce. We have pasta with marinara sauce made with our own tomatoes. We have uh, Chef Stephanie from the Seagrass Bistro, and she takes all our tomatoes and volunteers to her time to make the sauce, so it's amazing. We have um, pesto that all the volunteers help make. We gather up the basil throughout the season and make our own pesto. And we have fresh salad. Unfortunately, that isn't from the garden because it's gone by by then, but we get that from local sources. We have local artisan bread, and we have an army of helpers who peel and make apple crisp, peel the apples from a local, um, I think Sweetser oftentimes gives us some apples, and they all work together. We set up the cafeteria in a beautiful harvest style. This year we have a, a really nice, um, wonderful new volunteer. Her name is Mary Weber, and she lives in Yarmouth and has been growing flowers in her garden her whole life and giving them away, which is another example of the amazing kindness and generosity of our community. And this year she's been giving flowers to the Meals on Wheels program, which is one of the recipients of our garden produce. And so each time people get a meal from Meals on Wheels, they also get a little posy made from her flowers by some of the volunteers like Ted and Jane. And she will be making the centerpieces for the dinner. And they're going to be sold or given away, I think. We have an amazing raffle, all local goodies like gift certificates. We have um, beautiful um, original artwork, jewelry, garden people, little wooden garden people. I make a garden lady who sits in a chair and we give that, we sell that or auction that off. It's just a really fun night. And I always have a table set up for the kids. So we have coloring and crafts and they get to take home a pumpkin as long as the supply lasts. So it's a great night. And it is our major fundraiser. It's how we support the community garden. Well, I encourage all of our listeners to take advantage of your Harvest Dinner, and they can find out more about your community garden and the Harvest Dinner on the website? Yes. It's www.yarmouthcommunitygarden.org. And do you have a Facebook page as well? We do. Like us. (laughs) Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today. We've been talking with Christine Slater, who is the children's garden coordinator at the Yarmouth Community Gardens and also a personal friend of mine. So it's been a privilege to have you in the studio with us. Thank you. It's been a privilege to be here. For those of you who are listening, you know that we spent a lot of September talking about education and the relationship between education and health. 
And what I've loved to see over the last past, oh, I don't know, 10 years or so is an increased emphasis on nutrition in schools. I think we've seen this from a larger standpoint with the USDA, with the um, Department of Agriculture. But we've also seen a farm to school movement. And of course, Ken Morse is going to talk more about the farm to school movement. But with us, we also have Craig Hames, who is a longtime alternative educator who works at The Real School and is a co-founder of The Real School Lunch Program which is an ongoing service learning project. Um, Craig, you have a very varied background and you're doing a lot of different things, but first I wanna talk about what is this real school? It's R-E-A-L, big, all caps. That's right. What's the real school? Where is it? The real school is a school on Mackworth Island in Falmouth. Um, we're a program of the Wyndham Public Schools. Um, however, saying that, we also accept students from all over southern Maine. Uh, we're the only special purpose, um, dual purpose, alternative ed, special ed school in the state. We're certified as both, which makes us somewhat unusual. And we draw students from all over southern Maine. Um, we work with students who have struggled in mainstream placements, so they're um, largely at risk kids that have struggled in mainstream placements and basically we work with them at the real school and engage them this year particularly in service learning projects. Well, what is a service learning project? Service learning is uh, multifaceted. Uh, typically it's, um, it's a long-term project that integrates the various different subject areas through real meaningful and purposeful work. Uh, one of the ones, one of the projects that we're most excited about this year um, is called the Real Lunch Program, and it's a program whereby we're trying to integrate as much um, local food into our school lunch program as we can. Uh, so we've uh, involved students in basically growing food right on the island. We've established two gardens on the island. Um, one is a winter garden where we can grow greens throughout the, the uh, winter and fall season. Uh, the other one is a, a summer and fall garden, uh, and we we've. Uh, broken the program into two components. One component is the agriculture component, and the other program is the culinary arts component. Uh, so the students are very involved on many different levels, um, engaging them on many different levels uh, with local food, uh, from planting the gardens to ordering seeds to sowing the seeds to everything it takes to prepare the garden beds all the way through the harvesting process, uh, the preparing, and then the cooking process, which is a whole other uh, big uh, event in itself. Um, students do this uh, Wednesday through Friday throughout the school year. So if you have a summer garden and a winter garden, who's taking care of the garden when nobody's in school? Good question. <laughs> this is why it's helpful to have teachers that live close by the island. <laughs> Myself included. So, uh, Christine Caputo uh, is it was one of the co-founders of this program, along with myself, and she and I took turns throughout the summer coming and checking on the gardens, uh, bringing students with us. We try and um, involve our students throughout the school year. Um, so, would bring students with us to help harvest, to help weed, and do whatever needed to be done in the gardens uh, throughout the summer. So it's a little bit more uh, labor-intensive, uh, having to drive out to Wyndham and pick up students and bring them back to Falmouth, but uh, they need to be involved in the summer. So it's a great way to involve them, uh, continue your relationship with the student over the summer, make sure that there isn't any kind of regression that might happen in the summer, and just keep them involved. So, Tell me about what types of students actually end up at the real school. How old are they, and you know why do they end up there? Well, it's a 7th through 12th school. Uh, and we work with students who have struggled in mainstream placements. Now, they may have struggled uh, because of academic difficulty, social-emotional difficulty, uh, learning disabilities. Uh, there's a whole variety of reasons why students may come to us. Uh, the common denominator is they have not found success uh, in the traditional channels. Uh, they've struggled often 
mightily before coming to us. Uh, so then our task is, okay, uh, we have a student that has not resonated with a traditional school. How are we going to uh, integrate this student into our program and find whatever gift they, they may bring and amplify that gift and figure out a way to be super creative and get them uh, recharged up about school and about their own lives and, and becoming contributors. And uh, I think the Real Lunch program is a good way to take somebody who may be more accustomed to being a consumer uh, to a producer, teaching them how to produce, make something, make something real, and uh, eventually develop some pride in that, eventually develop some ownership in that, uh, and that's what we do. Now, what would you say to those who might be a little bit cynical about the high cost of educating students in an alternative way? I mean, I guess I'd say to those those folks, um, we all live in our community together, uh, and everybody is a valuable member of our shared community. And the alternatives of not educating uh, our kids uh, in whatever means it takes to educate them uh, can be severe. Uh, and it can lead to all kinds of social problems uh, that none of us would care to, to carry the cost of. So it's critical, uh, and it's critical that we step outside the bounds of, of traditional education to engage the kids who have just not thrived in that system. And uh, there is you know, a handful of kids that have not thrived uh, in traditional uh, settings, uh, despite the excellent, amazing, dedicated efforts of their teachers and their administrators, they still have not responded to the traditional approach. And so at the real school, we see it as our, uh, our responsibility to be completely different because anything that's been tried before hasn't worked uh, with our population of kids. So we see it as our, our responsibility to be different. And uh, we do that in many ways. Uh, one of the foremost ways is relational education and uh, doing whatever it takes to find the good in whatever kid steps through our door and amplify it and, um, and make it uh, shine a light on it and, and uh, amplify it. So that's, that's what we do. And, and using service learning and relational ed, we have great results. How can people who are listening find out more about The Real School and the Real Lunch program that you're doing? Okay, well, we have a website, www.realschool.org. That's one way. Um, another way is to visit our school. Uh, we're on Mackworth Island. We have an open-door policy. Uh, we love to have visitors come to our school and see what we do. It's very unique. Uh, it doesn't look like a traditional school, as you would imagine. Uh, there's, it's very dynamic. Um, this year, uh, uh, the Wyndham uh, RSU 14 district has hired a videographer who will be doing videos uh, all throughout the district, including videos of the real school. Um, and there are links to videos on our website as well. So if you can't get to the school, uh, certainly check out our website. And for those people that I go out to Mackworth Island, I walk around there, and I think there are lots of people who walk around, those people who are listening, you know, kind of peek over and see if you can see, see the garden out there. That's right. That's right. As you walk around that, that lovely nature trail, which I think is about a mile and a half loop, when you hit your second field, not your first field, but your second field, that I guess if, this is if you're walking uh, kind of counterclockwise around the island from the parking lot, uh, then you can see our low-lying brick building and one of our gardens uh, off in front of the school. And then the other garden is if you were to drive to the interior of the island uh, past the gatehouse, on the left there's a hoop house there, and that's where we have our fall and winter garden. And you also have a Facebook page? 
we do have a Facebook page. That's our service learning page. Um, it's called the Real School AmeriCorps Service Learning Program on Facebook. And uh, we've recently returned uh, a contingent of, of students and our, our, our director, Pender Macon, and AmeriCorps members went down to Florida to do a sea turtle rehabilitation project. And just yesterday, we loaded photographs from that experience in Florida. So pretty exciting. Well, thank you so much. We've been talking with Craig Hames of The Real School and The Real Lunch Program. Um, I encourage all of our listeners to go check out the website, the Facebook page, watch some of the videos, walk around Mackworth Island and get a sense of what's going on over at The Real School. Thank you so much. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And by Booth, Accounting and Business Management Services, Payroll and Bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. Today on our Healthy Harvest show, we are speaking with Ken Morse of the Maine Farm to School Network. Uh, Ken has a wealth of experience in other areas as well, which we'll talk more about. But we're very pleased to have you coming in to talk about farm to school. And why is this so important to you, Ken? Um... Well, it, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of reasons, and it's, um, it's a real cultural shift thing, so it's not a simple one kind of thing. Um, it's, it's more, more cultural. Um, we were talking about it this morning at our staff meeting that, that uh, partly with, um, we were talking about uh, walking school buses and why they, kids don't walk to school more. And there's some safety issues, and... Um, and so I think part, part of the childhood obesity epidemic, which most everybody knows how serious it's become, is um, that kids are, are not as free to play outside as, as kids used to be. You know, when some of us were younger, we were outside all the time. And, and not only that, but then they fill their time playing with digital <laughs> toys. And so... Um, kids really take to farm to school to get out and get dirty on school time and it's really um, especially helpful for kids that may not thrive in the classroom and more and more um, learning is being integrated in for every subject through the gardens through working in gardens and learning about food and agriculture Um, and and so it's, it's multiple things, but just getting kids out active at, at the s- school project in Norway, they put heart monitors on the kids when they're building raised beds and, and they track how much physical activity they're getting and stuff. And the kids, the kids love it. You know, they just, they just really enjoy getting out working in the garden. And, and, um, and then, of course, it begins to really impact the, the school meals, too which have been um, a problem for, for quite some time. They're very important. Some kids don't get great meals outside of school, but some of the food in the school meals is, is probably 
but more important to support commodity growers who grow surplus than necessarily for feeding kids well. And part of your interest, I think, in the health and your knowledge of the obesity rates in children comes from the work that you've done with Healthy Maine Partnerships. Yeah, I'm I'm the director of, of a local Healthy Maine Partnership in the Oxford Hills area, Healthy Oxford Hills, and um, have found that the Healthy Maine Partnerships have gotten more and more aware of, of uh, food system work as part of the solution to uh, the uh, nutrition issues. And um, one of the keys there is that up until very recently when there were changes made by the governor and the legislature, the coordinated school health program was part of the Healthy Maine Partnership system. So uh, um, all the Healthy Maine Partnerships, or HMPs as we call them, um, uh, have do their work through community partnerships and the one that's the most important the most required and funded through the program are the schools so that's partly why the healthy main partnerships have tended to be some of the most active community groups with the farm to school movement given the Maine has traditionally been an agricultural state why do you think it took so long for us to get back to the idea that there should be a link between farms and schools Maine, you're right, Maine was a, a huge agricultural state, um, and um, but starting when agriculture became more industrialized around, you know, the time of, of World War II, um, that began to shift. Uh, actually, it shifted somewhat before that with as they built canals and railroads that opened up the Midwest, because there was, at one point, when Maine was considered the breadbasket of the East. Um, but, and so th that whole industrial agriculture transformation, which now, to some degree, Farm to School is part of a larger movement to reverse that and bring uh, food, our food supplies back closer to home, um, that that was a pretty radical shift in in terms of the way America fed itself, and now as as more and more people understand, there's some real problems with that that model. There's uh, it creates cheap food, although the price of of the industrial ag products don't really reflect all the costs, the the health costs, the the environmental costs, the the uh, some of the social justice costs in terms of way people are are paid, um, the climate change implications with food being trans transported so far. So um, in, in, a, in one way, we look at farm to school as, as breeding a whole new generation of, of folks that really are into growing food and cooking food and eating food and that, that's fresh and local. And um, so that's, you know, there's, there's kind of a lost generation or two between like our grandparents or, or even some of us when everybody cooked and canned and and you know bought a lot of their food locally in the last 50 60 years or so that that got reversed and all the fast food places and everything so uh, this is partly a a uh, part of a movement of of reversing that that cultural trend 
Ken, how can people find out about the Maine Farm to School Network? There is a, um, a growing website. <laughs> uh, you can find it. Um, it. It's pretty, it needs a, a, a number of work. There is a national website um, that's pretty robust. There is, um, right now, there's a National Farm to School Month website, which has lots and lots of good stuff on it. Um, and the um, and there's the main school garden net network website. So those are all ways. And then you know, getting in touch with their local Healthy Maine partnership or other sort of natural partners like the Cooperative Extension, which are the the, the Co-op Extension is is very involved with school gardens and farm to school pretty much all over the state. And this is a University of Maine right. program, yeah. the Cooperative Extension. The Cooperative Extension, yep. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming in. We've been talking with Ken Morris of the Maine Farm to School Network, and we really appreciate all of the work that you're doing to get kids into gardens and gardens into kids and good food into kids and adults and helping our state be healthier. Well, thank you, and thanks for helping us spread the word. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 57, Healthy Harvest. Today's show has featured Lisa Silverman, macrobiotic instructor from Five Seasons Cooking School, Christine Slater from the Yarmouth Community Garden, Craig Hames from The Real School, and Ken Morris from the Maine Farm to School Network. We hope that you've enjoyed our conversation with these individuals and thought a little bit about how you might spend some time bringing more real food into your real life whether it's thinking about a garden for next summer or going to your local farmer's market or maybe encouraging your children to get a little bit more involved in the cooking. We know that there are many different ways for us to reconnect with our food and we know that you'll find just the right one for yourself and your family. We encourage you to go back and listen to our past podcasts through iTunes. All of these may be downloaded free, the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast. Also sign up for our newsletter through our website doctorlisa.org, where you can find more information about our guests, like us on Facebook, the Dr. Lisa page, or get in touch with us when you see us on the street and let us know how you think we're doing. We really appreciate your feedback. We also truly appreciate your letting our sponsors know that you're happy that they're helping us build a better world. This is Dr. Lisa. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Seabags, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. 
Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belisle through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.